I'll just begin. Uh, let's begin with uh, developing a very good, unfolding a very good bodhicitta motivation. All mother sentient beings, especially those enemies who hate me, obstructors who harm me, and those who create obstacles in my path, liberation, and misience, may they experience happiness and be separated from suffering. I quickly establish them to stay the most perfect and precious Buddhahood. All mother sentient beings, especially those enemies who hate me, obstructors who harm me, and those who create obstacles in my path, liberation, and misience, may they experience happiness and be separated from suffering. I will quickly establish them to stay the most perfect and precious Buddhahood. All mother sentient beings, especially those enemies who hate me, Obstructors who harm me and those who create obstacles in my path, liberation, and disease. May all experience happiness and be separated from suffering. I'll quickly establish them to stay of the most perfect and precious Buddhahood. And now the uh, action of bodhicitta. Thus, until I achieve enlightenment, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. Until death, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. From now until this time, tomorrow, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. Ah, now, going for refuge. Sange chodan sogi chognam la jangju badu jagni kapsu chi dagni jinsa gipa sonam gi drula pancha sange drupa shog. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and Sangha, most excellent, to take refuge until enlightenment is reached by the merit of generosity and other good deeds. May I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. And the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, most excellent. I take refuge in the enlightenment is reached by the merit of generosity and the good deeds. May I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. May all mother sentient beings balance the sky of happiness and the cause of happiness. May they be liberated from suffering and cause of suffering. May they never be separated from happiness which is free from sorrow. May they rest in equanimity which is free from attachment and aversion. May all mother sentient beings balance the sky, have happiness and the cause of happiness. May they be liberated from suffering the cause of suffering. May they never be separated from happiness, which is free from sorrow. May they rest in the equanimity, free from attachment and aversion. May all mother sentient beings balance the sky, have happiness and the cause of happiness. May they be liberated from suffering the cause of suffering. May they never be separated from happiness, which is free from sorrow. May they rest in equanimity, free from attachment and aversion. Let's uh, let's say a, uh, a rosary of of Guru Rinpoche, and uh, I just found out this morning uh, that Jamie's father. Many of you know, many of you, most of you know Jamie. His father just passed away. Um, I'm not sure how old. Maybe 63, 64, 65. So. Um, I'll be doing prayer. If you want to join me, I'll be doing doing prayers for for him and his family. And let's uh, let's put our intention on the freeing of uh, all bewilderment of all sentient beings, including Jamie's father. And may uh, that um, um, continuum of consciousness and uh, many different kinds of uh, um, karmic formations be swiftly reborn into Guru Rinpoche's uh, pure land or a pure land. Uh, where the Dharma is taught and uh, the opportunities abound uh, for liberation. Mm-hmm.
How many people here on retreat don't have a don't have a rosary, a mala? Anybody? You don't? Anybody else? Oh, okay. I might have one. I might have some. I'll bury the microphone. Any any questions uh, before um, uh, entering into a, uh, some teachings on mandala offering? Do you have any questions about Vajrasattva practice or or ta- our refuge? Yes. Mm. I'll tell you what. It's it's for that question better if I have um, 
Let me get the text. I, let, let me let me hold off on that because that's and, and also to look up the words not in class because it could take a long time if I start looking up Sanskrit words now. But let me do a little preparation on that. Okay. Um, just just to refresh my memory on those particular points, but also also it takes time to look up each word in in Sanskrit. And better better to go back to Sanskrit and look that up. Okay. Yeah. Any others? Yeah, the Kachari abode is the uh, is an abode of um, Dakinis. It's a pure land uh, of Dakinis, and uh, it's it's saying that even those that one has negative connections with, not just everybody who you have good connection with, making sure you take everybody with you into a pure into a pure land. That's what it means. So let me let me look at that uh, exactly. Turn to, you, to the text. Which, which one? Page 72. Having arisen from in the form the Guru, the Gurian, and the Bardo, may all sentient beings, led by those with one with whom one has positive and negative connections, immediately go to Kachari Bodh. Uh, that may partly be translation. Basically means through cause and effect, we're, we're not separate. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm going to look that. Check that. I'm going to check the grammar out on that Tibetan. Uh, how so? <laughs> yeah, I think the intent. The intent is very clear. Is that? Is that? Is that? We have we have a positive and negative connections, karmic connections with all kinds of beings, all kinds of beings throughout the universe, and um, because we're connected with so many beings, um, we are led, but we also lead. May we lead um, uh, all beings uh, into the pure land abode, and then having ripened and liberated the whole range of disciples. So that's assuming that one has realized uh, Guru Bishe, and now. Uh, um, has is is ripening, liberating um, um, uh, beings. So it could be. Uh, I I'll go and remind me. I'll, I'll go and check the grammar on that. Could be, could be. Um. 
I'm not really sure that's the intent because that's like how would they lead through confusion? Maybe, 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 maybe. It could actually be, it's very important in terms of the of, of Tibetan grammar, uh, it could also be uh, leading, not led. See, it could just be, be very slight alteration. Leading, or leading uh, those with, with whom one has positive and negative connections. So it's, it's better just to check it out instead of speculating on that, I think. But yeah, it could be. It could be both ways. I think it doesn't really matter. Uh, really, it's... Um, it, your wish is that all beings, all beings, positive and negative, who you, you have connections with, uh, end up in a, in a pure land, a Buddha realm. I think that's, I think that's safe to say. Uh, immediately go to a Kachari abode, to a, to the Kachari abode. So. Or, or uh, any pure land. But, but in this case, to do with this particular teaching. Any other questions? Yes. Oh, for the second part. Yeah, yeah for the second part. Uh, this this figure, kind of like that, uh, is in is in Vajrasattva's heart. Inside inside the central channel, on a lotus moon, uh, is is this figure. Yeah. So, say say it again. Just try it again. What what, what the, the question again? I, I don't Ah, uh, okay. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the state of emptiness arises Vajrasattva. That's self and front arising. From within the, from the state of emptiness arises Vajrasattva in Sambhogakaya form holding a Vajran bell. He's seated upon a lotus and moon just thrown. In his heart, which is both your heart and the front ari- and the space arising, is one's own awareness in the form of Padmasambhava Vajradhara, this figure that looks like that. And in whose heart is a moon disc, is a seed syllable hung, is quite fine, justifiable to have a dorje. And then the hung inside the dorje, that's just, that's just an added um, element to it. But here it goes directly to the seed syllable hung with the mantra. That means that implies the hung with the mantra garland spinning around the hung. By reciting the mantra, one's body is filled and washed with nectar. Radiant light causes appearance and existence to appear as Vajrasattva. Om Benzrasattva Ah. Yeah, we can get you a text.
Yeah, bodhicitta doesn't require visualization. It just requires a heartfelt um, feel of, or visualizing all sentient beings being liberated. Doesn't require, but but um, all the way through this, you'll see the uh, refuge tree keeps getting invoked. So so it, dissolving away the refuge tree into you and then having it come back is a normal part. So uh, in in terms of generating uh, bodhicitta normally normally and it's a really good idea is to have the refuge tree in space or in front up up, up elevated so that your your guy you're asking all sentient beings to be um, uh, with you liberated that's really it because the heart of bodhicitta is, is really the heart of all bodhicitta is um, and the mandala offering everything else is May all beings be free of the six poisons, which is which is full liberate, which is part liberation, and have the knowledge obscurations dissolved, and speedily and quickly. Uh, that, that's 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 the essence of bodhicitta. So uh, to use a refuge tree as a visualization um, is an excellent support. Even after you've dissolved into yourself, let it arise again. Yeah, it, it's almost it's almost kind of without saying you just let it rise again you can you can practice bodhicitta prayers formless or or form the form would be the refuge tree the entire field or pure land visualizing because the refuge tree is a pure land or you can do it completely formless which is just let your mind rest in in brilliant loving awareness compassion awareness and feeling feeling not even seeing just feeling all sentient life wishing all sentient life and yourself to become uh, fully awakened as speedily as possible. So all these things can be done uh, outer, inner, secret, and the suchness level. That's very important to realize that, that you don't, uh, especially in the Zogchen perspective, don't be so concerned unless, unless you're, well, don't be so concerned about not having a visualization if your heart and your devotion is there. But be concerned if you can't if you can't do anything and you don't want to. See you know what I mean? Like, don't stray into everything's okay, and if there's no visualization, that's okay. That's dangerous. But there are times when you let the mind is resting; it's actually nothing really there, and it's as beautiful as if there's a form there. So just because and just because one visualizes and has good visualization capacity doesn't necessarily mean the heart is actually in it. I know people have fantastic visualization capabilities, but they could also be robbing banks and um, be a, a dictator. You know, so, so, so it's really your attitude. Attitude's the most important thing. Attitude's the most, most important thing. Any others? Okay, mandala offering. So this is like going to school. You are in school. You are in uh, tantric college. Tantric, tantric college.
This actually, the way, the way you're learning is the way not even many monks or nuns learn. Just to let you know. I'm just not tooting my horn. It's just the way I was taught, raised, and the way um, some teaching is going on today. But if you are a, uh, a monk or a nun, traditionally, let's say in Southeast Asia or in, or in Tibet or wherever, these, the way this teaching is being presented to you, you, you may never, ever get. You would simply just do liturgy. That's it. Just do liturgy over and over and over and over again. Um, if you're taken in, if you want, if you're taken in as training as a, as a lama, you may still only know the liturgy. But if you're trained in a certain way, um, then you actually find out what each of these things mean over time. So, so I was raised in the way from Namjur Rinpoche um, of knowing and practicing, knowing and practicing, knowing what things mean, but not to the point of to the point where it's all intellectual knowledge. Understand? You have to practice. Let's say, because it's happened a number of times on this planet, let's say that you were born of such a quality, like a Karmapa, a Namjur Rinpoche, um, many, many fine uh, beings like that. And let's say that you, at the age of preteen or teenagehood or 20s, suddenly became very, very awake. You realized, the, you know, really realized the nature of mind. Because you've heard instructions or uh, heard a discourse, or uh, suddenly came upon you, but, or, but usually because someone's given to you. You know, there's a difference. You can have, uh, and this happens, this is kind of what we call, uh, call a Pracheka Buddha, a sudden awakening, very, very sudden awakening of, of a freedom of, of yourself, freedom of just boundless freedom, no obstacles, um, that the universe is a loving, compassionate place. But that still doesn't mean you actually know the nature of mind. It's quite something. So you can have this experience, but unless it's actually pointed out by someone that holds that experience and knows the nature of that experience, it doesn't happen. It's, it's quite something. And, it, and even for people that have profound meditative experience, it can be a lot of work to turn the mind so the awareness actually has a knowing aspect about what that is and can actually lead other beings into it. This is very, very different. So that's what you're doing here. So even for people called nirmanakayas or tulkus who are recognized and have really extraordinary meditation, they actually still have to have the pointing out or the instruction of the nature of mind, the nature of emptiness. Otherwise, it loses the capacity to guide other people and to know what it actually is that they've experienced. So that's, that's what this is about, is the ability to actually lead other beings and know for yourself whether the experiences are genuine or not. And um, moving along in a way that actually is a stable platform of, of growth, no matter who you are, no matter what, what, what level. So in the mandala offering is a very, very powerful means of generating merit, but also generating insight. And 
let me, I'm going to give, I only have seven copies at the moment of this. Uh, it takes a while. I had to change inks and things this morning. It just, just takes a lot of colored ink. But this is a, the heart of, the heart of mandala offering is understanding and practicing through the wisdom Buddhas, the dhyana Buddhas. This is very, very important to understand. The, the basis of it, the base of mandala offering, the base of all mandala offerings is actually the, the five uh, wisdom Buddhas. So again, in the starting of the mandala offering, in a state of oneself as Vajrasattva. So this is beautiful. So you're not in your ordinary state. You have to remember that. You're not in your normal appearance of a body and normal expression of sound and normal expression of mind. You, it is assumed, assumed that you are arising now in the mandala offering practice as Vajrasattva. And then in front of Vajrasattva, this is very important, this is the heart of Tantra, always being in the pride, what's called Buddha pride, of a Buddha body, because that's what's innate uh, to one's mind, uh, body, speech, and mind. So in front, on the tip of a trunk of a wish-granting tree, upon a jeweled lion throne, lotus, moon disc, is Guru Rinpoche, appearing with all physical ornaments and clothes, before him is the day, so on. Uh, to his right, Shakyamuni, behind him the volumes of sublime dharma. To his left, bodhisattvas and lords, the three families. Above them in all directions, they each have their own retinue. So repeating again, uh, allowing the refuge tree to arise uh, in front. And directly in front of his throne, the host of Apollo's oath-bound guardians and treasure lords appearing like a massing heap of rain clouds. Would it be possible to get a copy of that handed? That'd be great. Marvelous, thank you. Okay, let's let's go through the. So you have a handout here, much much easier now. If you look through the handout, um, starting with the thirty-seven heat model offering, I'd like to just just briefly uh, not give very much history, just to let you know that there are many styles of mandala offering. The one that's actually the most popular practiced in Tibet ended up as the thirty-seven point mandala offering or the seven point mandala offering. In the history of Indian uh, Tantric and Mahayana Buddhism, there was many, many forms of mandala offering, some more elaborate, some short, by different teachers at different times. And there's even mandalas that are, that are offered um, in a very, uh, let's say, straightforward things, probably from the time of the Buddha. So offering a mandala, um, a beautiful plate or something of great richness, uh, representing the um, a pure land, representing something that's that's really auspicious, is a very very old uh, practice in in India. But it's it's um, a way again of generating tremendous merit by clearing up the karmic seeds that that are not auspicious. This is really what it is. So you want to fill your entire being with great auspiciousness. And how is it again? It's causality. So the 37 heat model offering is only one style of model offering, but it's pretty much the style that's been adopted by all the um, uh, tantric schools in Tibet, all the four, sco- all the four major schools and sub-branches. 
uh, use the model offering, 37-point model offering, 7-point model offering, uh, with a very, very simil similar liturgy, almost identical liturgy. And you can see there's a picture here. In the, there's, a, there's a handout at the end um, from Robert Beer's book, beautiful, beautiful book, Robert Beer's book, um, of different, there's a picture there of different presentations of different mandalas, different mandala offerings. how they're arranged. And you'll see that uh, on the back there's about six pages from Robert Beer's book, starting on page, I think, 110. Uh, read at your leisure. And it's very beautifully written. It's, it's really excellent and gives you a very good sense of the profundity and depth uh, of, um, of the model offering practice. You can see how deep it can get. There's outer, inner, mandala offerings. Uh, on page 111, it says, um, Once on a desolate Indian landscape, the Mahasiddha Talopa requested a mandala offering from his disciple Naropa, and there being no readily available materials with which to construct a grain mandala, which is classic, Naropa urinated on the sand and formed an offering of a wet sand mandala. Another occasion, Naropa uses blood head and limbs to create a mandala offering for his guru. Talopa was delighted with these spontaneous offerings. There are no inhibitions or hindrances in the heart purified by the fires and tens of devotion. So normally we start, we don't offer our body right away. <laughs> we don't pull off our ears and go like this. Not right away. I'm joking about that. But, but um, we start with a grain mandala and we start with precious substance. So it says in the tradition, of offering a mandala uh, to generate merit, you're to offer a mandala in accordance with your financial means. So it was expected that someone who is a king or a queen or a prince would gather many riches, such as gold and gems, and today it would be Bentleys and Mercedes and Ferraris, and you'd bring all those and put a mandala together as an offering to the three, the three refuges. So it was expected. So if you read about the mandalas that were offered, the offerings that were offered to Guru Rinpoche by the court uh, when he was teaching in Tibet, it's quite, quite amazing. They actually listed the kinds of things. Gold goblets full of ambrosia. Huge feast offerings. And it was expected that to the level that you are, have financial means or wealthy, wealth, or prosperity, is you gather a field of merit about you on the outer level. For, for an example, so if you're doing the, if you're putting together the eight offerings, and you put the worst fruit that you have out, you know, like something that you never want to eat and it's kind of rotten, and you put that out, that would not be building up a merit field. So, so actually, this is a very deep practice of generosity that's so deep you can really see what you're, do, what you're up to. Or if the flower you pick is not your best flower, it's your worst flower. It's one you can sacrifice for the shrine, you know? Do you, do you see what I'm getting? So when you build, oh, we should actually build a class up there tonight. Um, the Mandal Offering Kit, we, we build with a, you've seen the beautiful Mandal Offering set we have? 
That mandala offering set is put on the shrine in front of you. There's two. There's two uh, done in this practice. One is placed in front of you, and that's a very elaborate mandala with the 37-point mandala offering. Okay? That's, that's put out there. And it's expected that to the degree to which you have funds, money, um, access to, to things, that you build a mandala offering suitable to your station in life. However, the texts also say that if you don't have anything and you're living in a cave and you're in the middle of the wilds and all you have is mud, then you make a mandala offering dish of mud. And you find some grains and rocks and stones and that's what you use for mandala offering. So it doesn't matter as long as you go out of your way to be generous and you collect uh, an offering that's suitable to what you, you can get, not the minimal. Otherwise, if you put place the minimal generosity is the minimal blessings that you'll get. The causality. Very, very simple. That doesn't mean you, you take your car and you put it on top of the model offering kit, but... but, but uh, it's expected, it's expected that you go out of your way to put very beautiful things on the shrine uh, and collect if you have the means to, to, to do that. Essentially what's being built in all mandala offerings is a pure land. So why is it very powerful? Because um, even though it's, an in, it's Indian, and it's a different culture, you have to understand, we can substitute a bit, but you have to understand we're going to put in the greatest things of the greatest richness and prosperity. Prosperity, richness, accumulation, strength that you would find in your culture. And what they've done is they've taken an idealized vision of what, what a pure land would be like so when you see kings and queens and so on, you go, oh my God, kings and queens. And this is from another culture. But you also see now other, other uh, prayers uh, from different teachers where they, they pray, may there, be good, may there be enlightened ministers. You, see, you want enlightened rulers. If people are going to govern, then you want uh, enlightened governance. See? So you have to understand each one. So it's a pure realm. You're creating a Buddha land in your mind because... You are a Buddha, you're Vajrasattva. So you can actually create a Buddha realm. And you're going to offer this for all sentient beings to go to and be reborn in. So the degree to which you can visualize, and I don't mean right away have good visualization capacity, but the degree to which your intent to build a mental map of an incredibly rich place for Dharma to be taught and beings to be reborn and unfold in and be in is the degree to which you also will conduct your life. So it's a, it's a huge strengthener. It means you want to um, drive out, not allow the normal kinds of mundane contrivances to come into this pure, land, this pure Buddha realm 
imagining, uh, to remove discursive thought, to remove habitual fantasy patterns, and so on. This is very important, not just for you, but for all, all beings. So you're offering the mandala, this is the mandala uh, mudra, you're offering the mandala, a plate, to the sources of refuge, which is also pure land, which is where you're going, and you're asking for blessings. You're asking for blessings. So that takes, that takes uh, devotion. So let's, we'll go along uh, in here. There's much, much to be said about this. So the 37 heat model offering, Om Vajra Bhumi Ahung. The base is the completely pure uh, golden ground. This Vajra Bhumi is, literally means enlightened foundation. Bhumi, Bhumi, if you look Bhumi up in Sanskrit, earth, foundation, base, ground, these kinds of things, even planet for, for Bhumi. Bhumi, planet, foundation place, place. But here, the Vajra, the Vajra means it's an enlightened foundation, enlightened ground with the three syllables of the three Buddha bodies, Om, Ah, Hung. And you actually could, Namjur Rinpoche once gave a meditation based on Om, Vajra, Bhumi, Ah, Hung as the sole mantra for making a, uh, a pure land in your skull. So he had these incredible meditations that he created for this, which, so my first mandala offering was done by the method that Namja Rinpoche came up with, which was um, a skull meditation. Um, he always said this is a really profound skull meditation, a body, body mandala meditation. This is one of the first meditation that Namja Rinpoche ever did in the Buddhist tradition was called the body mandala meditation from the Theravadan tradition, which is with the hand, the five lights emerging from the hand, the actual body mandala uh, emerging from the hand. This is what he learned from from, uh, from uh, Utilawanta Saido. So his first practice was the emergence of the five lights from the hand, from the, from the Mon, Mon tradition. So that's where it starts. The base is completely pure gold. I didn't bring a mandala offering kit or anything. I brought that into the class um, tonight, this evening. But you start with a, a mandala, a, a plate, and that plate is the one that you place on the shrine uh, every time before you practice, and you do the 37. So even if you're going to do a seven-point mandala offering, which is the abbreviated form, some people do 100,000, 11, 100,000, 11, with the long form, but in, in, we normally do it with the seven-point form. You do a 37-point aggregation, collecting merit uh, and insight into an offering that's put up on a shrine before you. So if you're practicing in front of this, you have a refuge tree, and on the shrine goes a beautiful, whatever you can put together, a mandal offering heaped with all these 37 points. Okay? But before we start, we start with either a metal plate, a Namjur Rinpoche, this is, this is only from, I only know from Namjur Rinpoche who, who did this, but Namjur Rinpoche liked to use a mirror. Um, as the nature of the mirror mind and the arising of all this coming from it. So it was a profound, he also made sure it was a profound insight meditation. But traditionally, you don't use a mirror, but use a polished metal plate. And if you can afford it, it says use gold. And if you can't afford gold, use silver. And if you can't afford a silver, use bronze and brass and so on. And if you can't afford that, make 
a mud plate or a clay plate, or, or even, it says, I remember one place, it says, even out of wood. Whatever you can do, it depends on your, where you are. And then you gather these, you gather grains, which most people can get, is grains, rice. Uh, by tradition, it is not a good idea. It's considered bad, uh, poor auspiciousness to pick a, rain, uh, a grain that has a little dot in it, like an eyeball. So sorghum's out. Barley, barley, well, barley doesn't quite. It's kind of, yeah. Rice is good. Sometimes it says barley, but, but rice is good. Um, millet, you have to watch for some types of millet. They can, some millets have a little dot, a little black dot on them. But anyways. Hmm? Pardon? Quinoa. Yeah, quinoa. So uh, a grain that it does not have a dot or a little eyeball on it. It was considered, it's considered inauspicious. We normally, it's quite traditional, if you can't use um, a pile of colored jewels as your grains, like heaps of diamonds, rubies, sapphires, and so on, put those up. But normally what we do is we make um, piles of five colored rice. So we actually put out um, five colored rice and we often mix them together so that when we're doing it, they represent beautiful grains of the, of the rainbow lights of the five primordial um, Buddha wisdoms. So the first thing you do, and I can get into, I'm, I'm, going, to get, I'm going to give you a procedure for the liturgy exactly. I, didn't, I haven't had a chance to really do that. A little bit's in Robert Beers, but I'll give you a handout um, from the, make sure it's from the Nyingma tradition. But as, as Robert Beer, Beer said here, um, uh, East is usually placed towards the practitioner. I've seen also West uh, is West. So East, East is Akshobhya. Uh, the entrance, East is the usual entrance way into all the mandalas. All right. So when you enter a mandala, it's through the East, Eastern Gate. So you're facing the Eastern Gate. Other, other traditions, I think this one on a handout, has to the west. Yeah, facing the west, but, but usually it's the east. And then the ring finger of the right hand is then dipped into perfume or saffron scented water uh, and circled around the edge of the mandala base while visualizing the outer Vajra mountain ring, so on. Um, often what we do is we, we take the base and we take our, our ring finger dip it into either clear water for bodhicitta, representing bodhicitta, remind us of bodhicitta. See, the whole thing about ritual, and there's lots of people protesting ritual, my God, these days, but the, the thing about ritual is you understand ritual as a, as a lab, almost like a lab technology. Okay? Each step of ritual, everything, the dipping of your finger in the water, reminds you to remember bodhi, a drop of bodhicitta. So, so basically, in the tantric method, your whole day is boxed you in to remembering, recollection, recollection. Right? That's, that's, that's the reason for, for ritual. It's not that you have to do ritual, but when you are doing it, is to understand that every little bit of it is to, is to raise your recollective mindfulness power to such a high degree that straying into fantasy, straying into not caring, not interested, 
is really not on. So in your breaks, you're supposed to be making tormos and everything else, right? So you're, you're, there's not actually any time in your 24-hour day, even dreaming, you're supposed to be you know, offering mandalas and so on, that you're allowed to stray into, I think I'll just lay back and go to the beach and just like daydream away or fantasize or, you know, read a kind of... But, you know, you're, you're trying to, in your retreat, take every second and make it an act of bodhicitta. That's, that's what this is about. So, so all these things, you say, ah, do I need to do it? Yeah, you do need to do it. Why? Because we're sloppy. So you take a drop of bodhicitta, imaginary bodhicitta, a drop, pure drop, or, or with pure perfumed water, and you drop it onto the dish, onto the mandala plate, and then you take a cloth, or you take your, I, I usually use my rope, Sandy, and then um, some texts is clockwise, some texts anti-clockwise, and you say Vajrasattva mantras. Hmm? Om Vajrasattva Samaya. I, I do sometimes short. Om Vajrasattva. And you clean the dish uh, three times. Hmm? You wipe it. Most texts say clockwise. Ah, sometimes you anti-clockwise. Tantra. Okay? So wiping it clean. Uh, when you're using a mirror, I actually like to wipe the mirror clean so it's fairly spotless which means maybe more than three wipes, especially if it gets wet and you're smearing it all up. And that's, that's a beautiful act because you're, you're clearing the mirror, which is your own, representing your own mind, spotlessly clear, Om Vajra Bhumi Ahung. And by tradition, this is not in many texts, it's in the, it's in the commentaries to the Drikon Yagza, is this ground is a pure golden ground of infinite dimensions sitting on a green ocean. This is, the, 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 the liturgy is amazing. So you, have to visual, you want to visualize a vast green ocean, vast ocean, with an infinitely pure golden ground. So imagine gold sheet laid out over an ocean. That's, that's what you're visualizing. Right? and it's spotless. You'll see a lot of gold in this, and the gold is because it's all about merit building. When you start to dream of gold, when you have gold and light, gold and not just yellow, gold and light moving through your being, you start to see um, large bricks of gold, 24 karat gold. If you see gold in mountains, if uh, if you have a dream and someone gives you a 24-carat um, car, uh, you know, these kinds of things. It means merits coming through. Richness, richness. You have to have abundance and richness to actually know you're going to go the path. Otherwise, you feel impoverished. Psycho psychologically, impoverished is not a good place to be. You know, feeling, I'm always impoverished. Impoverished in food, ideas, intellect, feelings, devotion, I'm impoverished, impoverished. This is about being incredibly strong and wealthy in all dimensions so that you can actually um, um, walk the path uh, to, the, um, uh, uh, to the full realization. Okay, then what we do is we build a, an adamantine uh, fence. Uh, the next page, I don't know where it is on your text, but I'm just going because I have a few notes in mind. Om Vajra Rikki Ahum. 
and Om Vajrikya Hong is an iron mountain. The world, the universe world is surrounded by an iron mountain. You know that from modern physics, right? It's an iron mountain all the way around the, the universe. This is the Abhidhamma uh, universe. This is the universe as seen by the Abhidhamma masters of India, very, very, uh, from the Indian tradition, uh, from the insight tradition of Abhidhamma, and this is Mahayana Abhidhamma, of how they actually saw the universe. Did they actually believe the universe was exactly like this? No, this is the outer way in which the universe we conceive. Today, in modern science, uh, we have a universe how we conceive the universe. Don't, don't necessarily believe that's real. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong. I'm just saying it's our, uh, our best, especially when you read New Scientist. And astronomy parts of New Scientist and cosmology, you'll actually read very often that you, they'll say, oh, made a discovery about such and such. But if you actually read about it, it's a proposal of a new model based on mathematical modeling or computer modeling. So it doesn't mean it's actually there. There may be some evidence of the way it is, but it's also based on a conceptual framework. So remember that some of it is, or, or sometimes you'll see a picture of a, of a galaxy and not know that the actual picture is a particular wavelength of light. You say, wow, that's really cool. But it's an enhanced, it's almost all enhanced pictures using certain wavelengths of light that we can't see at all, by the way. So for us to even see it on a, on a photo means it actually has to be color enhanced because of wavelengths. We, we can't even conceive of what those colors are like. Does this make sense? <clears throat> so this is the outer idea and through meditation let me give you an example, too, so you don't think this is kind of weird. <clears throat> I want you to imagine you're a fish, and you're in an ocean around a coral reef, and you're used to coral reefs. And all of a sudden, a typhoon comes along, which has happened, and you as a fish get thrown out into... Dempansar in Indonesia, or thrown out into Bali or Manila, because there's lots of coral reefs. Well, there were coral reefs around until they were blown up and destroyed. But um, you're thrown up at the coral reef, and you land as a fish in downtown Manila, or you land in Dempansar or in Bali somewhere, in. and you're still alive. And you look around. And you see cars going by, you see skyscrapers, you see people doing things, selling fruits and whatever it is. Just imagine, trees and all kinds of stuff. And then the typhoon suddenly, you haven't died yet, suddenly whisks you back and you drop into your own coral reef and all your fish buddies are there and they say, well, what happened to you? Well, I got transported to this incredible land. Well, what's it like? Well, I'll tell you about it. You wouldn't even have the words to describe it, would you? So you'd have to think, well, you see, it's kind of like I saw around us these walls of like iron, you know, whatever it is, in the fish language. Do you see, see now? So when the Buddha uh, taught Abhidhamma uh, on another planet, planet, other planet by, by the Burmese tradition, he taught Abhidhamma, he was teaching Abhidhamma for three months on another world, in another world system, in a binary la language. They actually called it a binary language. 
And when Sariputra caught him teaching, because the Buddha would just disappear, kind of do this, and Sariputra said to him, his, his chief, one of his chiefs, says, what are you doing? Like, what's, what are you meditating on? What's happening? He says, oh, I'm teaching the Abhidhamma to another planet. Wow, well, can you teach it to us? He says, no, no, actually can't. It's a different language, and it'd be very, very difficult to comprehend. So Sariputra asked him again and again and again, please teach us this Abhidhamma transmission uh, to us. And eventually the Buddha did. He taught it in a way uh, that was in um, Pali, could be understood at that time to those students. And Sariputta became the uh, lineage holder of the Abhidhamma insight uh, tradition and passed that on to his, his disciples. So you have to understand, even the Abhidhamma is considered to be a close approximation <coughs> of a teaching <coughs> pardon me, uh, given for three months on another planetary system in another language, much like a binary language. And that's how the Abhidhamma reads. It reads just like coded language, coded text. It doesn't read like a normal discourse. So we have to understand that this, this 37-point mandala offering, which is a mandala sphere of infinite dimensions, is a view of our universe from 2,000 years ago based on great meditation masters trying to find words for what they were finding in their, in their, in their view of the universe. Does it make sense? Plus inheriting many, many views of how the universe should be from the ancient Indian culture. This is ancient India. Okay, so with that little bit of introduction. So a wall of iron mountains forms a circle around this, this, uh, uh, this pure land, around this universe. Om Vajra Riki Ahong, this, um, these iron, these um, enlightened iron mountains. At the center stands Mount Meru. Chi Chang Ri Ku Kuri Ki Kong Su Kor Wa Sum Hong. At the center stands Mount Meru, which which is often considered to be um, Mount Kailash, the king of mountains, or or Everest, but some some people say it's Mount Mount Kailash, is a a center um, uh, mountain representing the very center of the universe, the king of mountains. And then so on. The east is, I'm going to leave uh, looking up these. And the handout you have is uh, Puravideya. These are all different uh, continents uh, of, the, of the pure land that we are in. So uh, <clears throat> in the east is uh, Puravideya. In the south is Jambudipa. We're in Jambudipa, by the way. That's, that's, Jambudipa is considered India continent of India, Jambudipa. The west is Godiana, the north is Uttarakuru, uh, east is Deha and Videha, south is Chamara and Avara Chamara. The west is Sattas and Uttaramantrans. The north is Kurus and Kuravas. And then there are mountains of jewels and wish-fulfilling trees. So this is the universe uh, and the planet as they knew it, the Bhumi, as they knew it with different continents. So India was really an unknown continent. There was something to the west. There was something to the north. There was people in different kinds of tribes. And, you see, just like we, we would. You go back 100 years, different. Have you ever looked at maps? Have you ever looked at maps 300 years ago? Whoa. Monsters and dragons. And, and these were for real. You know, monsters and dragons. And half of South America wasn't there. And the Canadian Arctic wasn't there. And half of Canada was missing in North America. 
You know, so so um, today we think we, we know it, eh? We don't. We don't even know how many universes there are. There's uh, current, some current theories say that there's 10 to the 50 universes. That would be about right. We, we don't know. We just, we just don't know. Uh, we're getting a better idea, but we don't. We don't even know what's in the solar system. We don't even know what's on this planet. We've just begun. So. Okay, so you build up the you build up this mandala. So this is your starting mandala, and you build it up with with heaps of grain. So the grain go on these points, and the points uh, are on page. What page is that? Before it be page one fourteen of Robert Beer's book, with all the diagrams there. You start in the middle, like this. One, you drop some grain in the middle. One, two, three, four, so on around it, and, and, you, and you have to, you basically follow this diagram. And remember, you're building up a three-dimensional, a three-dimensional map of a pure, of a pure land. And as you build this up, you're also putting rings on the mandala. I'll show you, but you put rings on the mandala, and you keep putting rice in, and you build it up so it's a three-dimensional mind map, but physically done. So why, why do we often do Ritual. Ritual is a good thing because it demands we do something physical. And when we do something physical, neurophysiologically, normally when we do something physical and we conjoin it with a, a mental act or a speech act, it goes in way deeper than just a mental act. This is why. It's one thing to think, oh, I'm going to go drive in the car. It's another thing to have been in a car, driving in a car. It's one thing, to th one thing to think, oh, I'm going to meet so-and-so tomorrow and have a conversation. Emotionally, physically, it's a whole different thing to be standing in front of that person and having a conversation. Correct? Isn't it? You may never forget that ever, but if you just think about it, you'll forget it. But if you actually encounter it, you may never, ever forget it in your, in your entire life. Do you see? Because it turns out that what you remember and how deeply you remember it has to do with the emotional affect at the time. Memories are laid down by, also by the hippocampus and the limbic system. So how you are mentally at the time by which something happens is how you actually retain the memory of it, which is memory is very corrupt. It's a very selective thing. So it's important to physically actually perform a model offering instead of, I did some mental model offerings. That's not the same. I imagined that I was uh, giving my best. That's not the same as actually doing best. So this is the same thing in the uh, uh, bodhicitta prayers of aspiration for bodhicitta and conducting bodhicitta. They're, they're different. I wish all beings were liberated. I'm actually doing something about all beings being liberated. Does that make sense? That means physically doing something. Speech doing something. Okay, once we've laid out the continents, then uh, we, uh, we have uh, mountains of jewels 
right? This is all about wealth. This is all about accumulating wealth. Wealth is, this, these jewels represent a clarity. They represent um, accomplishment, even being able to get a jewel. Uh, not today, of course, we can buy jewels. But in olden days, only people very wealthy, extremely wealthy, could have jewels, and sometimes limited because the king and queen always had the best one. And then wish-fulfilling trees. Wish-fulfilling trees uh, are trees that the fruit is actually insight knowledge. Insight knowledge is insight teachings. This is, this is by, by, um, by tradition. So it's not just, a, not just filled with gold and jewels. The actual fruit, the jambu, jambu is, uh, is actually texts and teachings of profound insight. So it's a whole tree laden with, with insight teachings. If you want to know, that's, that's the, the, the name uh, of this being, Yongdu. Uh, not very commonly seen, by the way, but Yongdu, one of my names, Yongdu, given me by the 16 Karnapa, is uh, a tree, is a wish-fulfilling tree, but full of the Buddha's teachings of insight knowledge. So that's, that's what that means. It's, a, it's an auspicious tree of wealth, but filled not, not with just jewels, but filled with... Um, uh, all the teachings, all the Buddhist teachings of insight knowledge. So everything here has profound meaning at the inner level, at the secret level, and so on. Right? Uh, wish-granting cows. You've always wanted a wish-granting cow. This, this, is, this is the cow that can give you infinite amounts of milk. Right? You have to think, ancient India. Think of ancient India. What's the most precious thing? What would be today? What would be today? A petrol station, giving you infinite amounts of petrol to do whatever, make, make petrochemicals, make uh, plastics, make food, all kinds of things, right? So you have to think of, of, of what would it be today? Yeah, petrol station or, or um, pardon? Visa card, yeah, your ATM machine, giving you infinite, uh, you know, as one, one, one parent told me, you know, we were at the Visa machine and my, my uh, child said to me, well, why can't we go to it all the time and just get money? Like, like, and they, they kept going up to the ATM once they saw it done. They went, well, let's do it again. Let's do it again. You know, get, get as much money as you want. So, so. This is a wish-granting cow. And that also means abundance. Whatever you wish for, you can get. That's also the nature of the city. The city of the wish-granting tree also, um, as explained to me by His Eminence, Antoine Bechet, is that, is that then the mind uh, has strength to bring uh, things about. So that is, one of the, um, that is one of the qualities of merit, is the ability, this is, this, you should write, this, please write this down, it's very important, is merit allows the, the being, I use the word being because not all, not, not all liberated beings are human beings or beings on the path of enlightenment, but it allows a, a creature to gather what it needs to gather for the purposes of, of good living, good healthy living, and liberation. Most importantly, liberation. So there are people, yogins, that have, that, that have merit, which means they can liberate, but they will never become wealthy. They'll never become wealthy. It's not going to be in their karmic predisposition. There are people 
that will never become liberated in this lifetime, but naturally amass huge amounts of money. It's just natural to them. It just flows. All the business deals work. The ones that don't work, somehow in the end, turn out to work. Um, they get opportunities. They see opportunities where nobody can see opportunities. They're in the right time at the right place, right? Uh, it's, it's remarkable. It's just absolutely remarkable. And there's others that can't do that at all. They're always in the wrong place at the wrong time. The deal falls through. The, the finances fall through. The deal goes wrong. Whatever, whatever it is. And, but uh, they may actually um, have great riches in terms of unfolding knowledge or intellect or other, other aspects. Do you follow? So not all of us, it's not, just about, it's not just about money. It's about gathering what one needs for yourself, whoever you are, to walk the path of liberation, unobstructed. That's, that's, that's what it is. So you want wish-granting cows, ATMs. Uncultivated crops does not mean uncultivated crops. That was the best that I think Mike could do, bless his heart, he's a great translator, could do in one line. It means a field that never has to be cultivated, which always spontaneously gives rise to good crops. So in other words, you don't, have to do, you don't actually don't have to do anything in your garden. You just look at it, and like this one a bit, and the kale comes out, the, the celery comes out. We didn't put any celery in. We got kind of, all kinds of celery coming out, fennel coming out. Um, what else? Especially kale. Kale coming out all the time. Um, Oh, uh, we had um, cucumber, just cucumber sprouting. <laughs> you should write a soil soil that we put in from your, your, your sand, mixing with some and everything. We just had cucumbers coming. Going, where are the cucumbers? They never planted the seeds. They're planted over there. All of a sudden, we've got cucumber uh, seeds coming up, melon seeds, all kinds of stuff. So um, now we've got all kinds of things planted. Poppies coming out in the middle of the garden. So, so you'd think that's a psychic power, but actually it's because the seeds are all being flown around next. But, but it's, a, it's a crop, it's a whole field of crops that you don't have to do anything about, and it just feeds everybody. That's, that's what it means. Okay? That's like having your own um, grocery store. And you can go anytime. Okay, a precious wheel. That precious wheel is a wheel of turning the Dharma. Uh, not not just wheels for carts, and um, but that is that is the precious wheel of the Dharma chakra and the the emperor that is also a Dharma king, a king of Dharma. That's really what it means, a king of Dharma, and that's the Dharma chakra. This is the mudra. This is the mudra of the Dharma chakra. Okay, like this at the heart, and a Dharma a Dharma chakra is the wheel of Dharma, the eightfold noble path, and being able to turn the eightfold uh, noble path. And, and the kingdom, by the way, it means the kingdom or the realm or the country uh, is able to support Dharma. And the Dharma is promoted and, and, and given. I like this Misha. Like that. So take your two fingers, like this, this is the mudra of it. Two fingers like this. Put them like this, and then turn them. No. Okay, like this, and just go like that. Like this or like this? And that's called the Wheel of Dharma Chakra, and that's the Mudra of Varochana. Okay, like that. So this is all about the Adi Buddha. This is about the, this is about the, this is about the, the five wisdom Buddhas. Remember, I'm going to give a handout. 
This is all about the five wisdom Buddhas. It all comes down to five wisdom Buddhas. Okay. That's the precious wheel. Hmm? Hand out. I've only got a seven here, so I'm going to leave them. I'm not going to give them out right now. But there's a handout we have. And it has the five pictures, the five wisdom Buddhas. It has the functions, the seed syllables, every detail about the five wisdom Buddhas, including how they correspond to one's body, one's senses, one's cognition. And then on the back is a map of how the, of how the mandalas in the Tantra tradition are all laid out in three dimensions. Okay? At the, also at the speech level as well. The, no, not the speech level. At the uh, inner level, called the mind level, and the body level, and so on. So I'm going to hand that out. You'll have that. And you can study that. And that is a lot to do with this mandala offering. Okay? If you really want to understand mandala offering, you really have to go to the five wisdom Buddhas. The five wisdom Buddhas arise, or no, let's say, they're inseparable from your five senses. Your five senses are, are, are five hidden wisdom Buddhas. Your five aspects of, in the Buddhist tradition, the model of the Buddhist tradition, the Buddhist, Buddhist, Buddhist tradition of ego formation, we'll call it ego, of form, of consciousness, of um, perception, of feelings, and mental states, the five, is in fact the five wisdom Buddhas and so on, and so on, and so on. So it's a body mandala, it's a mind mandala that one is invoking. The precious jewel is about clarity, is about abundance, richness, sparkliness, spontaneity, light, so on. The precious queen, the precious minister. Well, uh, you need... Um, we've already, already had the king of mountains, but you, it's very helpful to have, if you're going to have a king, you need a precious queen, too. That means a very good queen, has very good qualities. And remember, ancient India, ancient Tibet, uh, the precious minister. You don't want the evil, diabolical minister ruining your country, stealing from you, causing wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happens today, still happens today, whether it's the, whether it's the um, prime minister's office, and so on and so forth. Yes. A, uh, a precious elephant. An elephant has a lot to do with wisdom. Um, this is a six-tusked elephant, which represents the six parami. This is a very auspicious elephant that can do things, do move things, move trees, um, move trees, uh, build, make roads. This would be like the precious D6 caterpillar, you know, um, mover or your big giant. Uh, Kaboto um, tractors and so on, moving earth and building buildings and being able to make it earthen dams, dams, and all the things we need for the kingdom, we need for the country. Heavy equipment. This is, this is big heavy equipment. And the same thing with a precious supreme horse getting around quickly. Today that would be the car. You need a, a really good uh, vehicle to get around. A dependable vehicle. Hmm? Airplane, helicopter, yeah. Yeah, yeah, trucks, sort of thing. Oh. Oh, probably one down. Uh, so, uh, 
Yeah, the swift horse, too. That's a swift horse for communications. Remember, communi uh, mail, mail and, and letters were delivered by horse, horseback. So it wasn't by telecommunications. Today, that would be also the internet, a dependable, a dependable satellite, um, dependable satellite system. Can you just check, see what's happening with that electronic device? Let's go. Uh, let's go. We'll go. Let's, let's, we can speed this up a little bit. Um, the precious general. Uh, sometimes uh, states have to defend their territories, so you need a very clever and wise um, general. A vase of great treasure, that's the, that represents one's own being and other beings being filled with uh, inexhaustible treasure. That's what it means, inexhaustible treasure, to, to go the path. Um, goddess of beauty, goddess of garlands, goddess of song, goddess of dance, goddess of flowers, goddess of incense, goddess of light, goddess of perfume, sun. These are the, these are the offering goddesses. These are the outer offerings. Um, beauty means being well-formed. Uh, garlands, being of well-scent. A uh, song, being a melodious song, being able to have good voice uh, and good speech. The goddess of dance, being able to dance well in terms of um, dharma and movement. The goddess of flowers, uh, of ornamentation and, and, and um, up upliftment. One of our richest. Hmm? Swift horse going by. The goddess of incense, beautiful perfumes to enliven the spirit, also for healing and to uplift. By the way, smell, you know, smell goes to the brain. The, the incense is not innocent. Uh, it, it is hormonal, and uh, good incense uh, creates beautiful, beautiful states and, and, and qualities. So, there's a reason why in the in the Catholic or the Christian tradition, uh, piles of, of frankincense is used. It's very similar to a a hormone for um, a sexual hormone. So, uh, if you waft it in the cathedral, uh, there's people sitting there. Wow, so good. Okay, and these are the outer offerings, the goddess of perfume, and then a sun and a moon. Uh, you, you want a sun and a moon because a sun and a moon are absolutely essential for life uh, on this planet. The, the, regu the regulation of the sun and the moon, making sure the sun and the moon uh, is uh, rising and setting, so-called. Actually, it doesn't really happen that way. Uh, the sun is, is fairly constant. We'd be fried and dead or freezing cold without the sun being constant. So... They're absolutely essential for life. So that is uh, luminosity and aspiration. Luminosity, the inner level of, of luminosity of compassion and aspiration of compassion and radiance. The precious parasol, that is a, uh, in ancient India, um, to protect you from the sun, but, but held above a great teacher or held above the emperor, the parasol. Parasol of victory. Hmm? And then... In the middle is the banner of total victory. So this is the would be the total. This is the war victory. You've actually been. I know it sounds odd, but this is a banner uh, used in the um, at the end of a war or a declaration of our kingdom. 
you hold it really high like a flag, but it's a, it's a banner of victory. It means you've actually accomplished the full path of liberation. That goes in the center. Okay. This pure realm in which glory and wealth of gods and man is perfect with nothing missing is offered to the Guru. So this, this mandala is now built in front of you and is either done on the shrine or placed on the shrine front and center so you can see it. And that's your, that's your support. Then you have a mandala. Oh, tonight, we'll, we'll, put, we'll get it all together. It's a bit, sorry, sort of that. But, um, it's, it's easier to have a class up at the house uh, for this. And then the, uh, you have a, a smaller mandala, uh, just a disc like this, um, of a mirror or of a, of, a, of a gold plate or brass or something very beautiful. And you hold that. And again, you moisten it, clean it, in the same way, Om Vajra Sattva Samaya Manupalaya, or Om Benzra Sattva Samaya Manupalaya, you clean it, and then you start what's called a seven-point mandala offering. But before you start the seven-point mandala offering, you finish this, this liturgy, which, which is very profound. Uh, this pure realm in which glory and wealth of gods and men is perfect with nothing missing. You're supposed to try to do that. That's how you build merit. Nothing's missing. Everything positive is put in the mandala offering. You want not to offer bad things. You want to break the habit of thinking that, that, that offering or giving to yourself or other of negativity or, or, or neutralness is actually a good thing. This is to build in the mind stream tremendous meditational power and, and generosity and all the parami so that you're incredibly strong. This is... If you want to do a, strengthening med- a cognitively strengthening meditation, this is it. This will challenge every little bit of your neural networks. Every little bit is going to be challenged here. Why? It takes great strength to keep bringing yourself back to offering a mandala with nothing missing, just the greatest qualities that you can possibly uh, imagine. This is offered to the guru. It's offered the meditational deities, the heroes, that is the victors, the Dakinis, the Dharmapalas, the assembly of guardians, those are the wealth guardians and, and, and oath-bound beings, with their infinite refuge. I put in infinite, but they have infinite revenues. That's the refuge tree. So the refuge tree is visualized in front, so you're doing this with a refuge tree visualized in front, plus you're also laying out a mandala, which is the entire universe, of all good qualities of pure land, and you're offering that up. This is, if you think this is easy, try it. Try it. But if you want great merit, and you want all these great qualities to flourish fast, quickly in this lifetime, then you need a big merit builder. This is a big merit builder. Big it does. It does. And it doesn't, it doesn't just need meditation. It needs merit. This is the problem. As someone wrote recently, a new scientist, it's lovely, I'm, I'm so happy they wrote this in response to an article on the dangers of meditation. It's just beautiful. It says, you know, mindfulness can also produce a criminal who can rob a bank. Because you can be a, mindfulness can train a person how to be a really good criminal. It can, it can train someone how to be a good murderer. It can train a, a wonderful dictator, can have this great smarts, and have utter co- uh, uh, concentration like nobody else around them. That's one of the hallmarks. They're incredible. 
they, they're, they're completely devoted and mindful about destroying. A good general, a good uh, commander of an army, a good uh, dictator, yeah, smarts, incredible smarts. How do you think they live? How do you think they don't get assassinated? They're one step ahead of the game all the time. Their concentration is incredible. So thank you for that. It's, uh, this world and, and all of us, all of us, we need heaps of merit uh, for liberation, not, not, just my, not just being concentrated. Concentration without merit is a bit of a dangerous, I believe, is very, very dangerous, especially for weak egos. Very, very dangerous. But, but even for strong egos, it's very dangerous. Because then the ethics, you'll see the ethics, it's going to be terrible. Right? And the view of life can be just, be, 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 you know. Uh, I was reading, for instance, a fantastic article in New Scientist, a specu- slightly speculative article, but on the discovery that it's quite possible that being out in nature and feeling good in nature is because of the toxins the plants are giving off. They, they spark the immune system, they spark different parts of the brain to give off signaling to actually help us be healthy. And it's the actual phyto, it's the phytotoxins, the plant stuff that plants give off, which is not in cities, it's decreased in cities. That when you go and you walk in the country, and you go, wow, you're actually slightly being toxified by plants. Not enough to do you in, but enough to get your systems going where you go, wow, I feel kind of reborn, I feel alive. But, but so, so at the end of this great article about how, why being in the country can be so good for us and so important to our health and why the cities can be doing us in, there was this couple lines about bottling it. Maybe if we identify the substances, we can bottle it and use that in cities because someday there won't be any forests. I'm going, oh my God. So here's an incredible being. You know, I'm going, wow, what a being. He's thinking, and I'm going, what? What about saying we can't damage these ecosystems because we need them for our vitality, not bottling them. You know what happens when we bottle them? We get four or five out of 20,000, right? And then what do we have? We have a mess. Bottle them. So can we, you know, and then it becomes very medicalized. You know, you go into a hospital, and because the hospital doesn't have opening windows and they're not built near forests, right? So you can go for walks and things like that. We do? Here, have some outdoors. <laughs> You'll see, I guarantee it, there's going to be companies right now working on this because they read that and go, wow, can we make money? <laughs> Does it remind you of something? Yeah. So. Pardon? Snake oil. But you know what? It might, might help. Might help a little bit. Might help a little bit. What a wonderful idea. There's actually doctors, there's professional medical people that are now thinking about having hospitals uh, with windows open and realized from old literature that indicated that people heal better with windows open, not windows sealed, from all the germs. That, that the, one of the problems with hospitals is they're so sealed, they're germ repositories. So open the windows and get people to breathe germs. They're healthy. <laughs> okay. Enough of my Sunday morning sermon. But thank you for saying that there, Gina. That's Okay. Please accept this, this beautiful mandala, this offering. Generosity. Generosity is the king. It's the head of all accomplishment. Please accept this with compassion for, for the benefit of living beings who don't have it. Right? They don't have it. 
That's why it's confused. They're trying to get something they can't get. I, you know, give me an example. I want to give you an example of how much suffering there is. You're taught what happiness, and it's a target. You know, like the target set up at the house? And the target is happiness. And the, the marketing around happiness is every day from your, when you're about six months old, because you've now got an iPhone or a computer in front of you at six months or a year. And, and you're surrounded by it. So for years, you're surrounded. What's the target? What's the target in Western society? Even Eastern society, it doesn't matter. What's the target? Pardon? One things, but also what? A happy life, right? Based on what? Everything's got to be right. Isn't that correct? The family right, the education right, the job right, the retirement right, the spouse right, the house right. You see what I'm saying? Everything's right. Why is there going to be a lot of anxiety and depression besides epigenetic and genetic reasons? Why? Because you can never hit the target. That would be like having a bow and arrow and there's a magnet that doesn't ever let you hit the target. Do you know what I mean? It just deflects every time. There's no way you can actually hit the target. That's suffering. You're promised a Buddha, you're promised a divine realm of happiness, and there's no way you can hit it except occasionally with a stray arrow by holding your eyes closed, and it hits the target, and you temporarily get a bing of happiness for a day, for an hour, for a year, for a half a year, and and you're high off that and looking for the next fix, the next hit. That's my honest appraisal. And I'm not being negative, it's a fantastic culture. It's great, good. I mean, it's, it's all good, it's very good. I'm just saying, but look at the problem of not being able to get the target. So what you're doing here is you're visualizing the target in its most complete way, which is an enlightened mandala and enlightened mandala for the compassion of all living beings. And how do we start doing that? We put out a bird feeder and we serve birds uh, with our money. We serve them seeds and make them happy. We plant berry bushes for mostly the birds to, to make them happy. We plant um, uh, orchards for the deer to make them, when they get over the fence, to make them... I caught a little baby deer inside the uh, berry garden uh, last night. I got home and I was just working on the computer and then... What's that? little fawn. <laughs> so I went and chased it and closed the openings. But, um, totally left. So, uh, how do we start? How do we practice merit? We start with little things by making food for people, good food, not just food, but good food. We offer our body, our speech, and our mind to serve others and get out of an egocentric view of what's in it for me. And eventually we go and we find ourselves doing something like the Mandal offering in the Tantric tradition, which is offering an entire uh, pure realm, universe, of the very best qualities and puzzling over them. How do I offer a precious queen? You know, like what is a precious queen and how do I offer that? Okay, well, here, here you go. Or how do I offer like a precious, a precious elephant? What is a precious elephant? So it's very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. 
please accept this with compassion for the benefit of, of living beings. That means heartfelt understanding of what beings are going through and the bewilderment of the five poisons, making a very confused uh, pure realm into an unpure realm. We're already in a pure realm, and it, it appears to many people as a very unpure realm. Having accepted it, please grant your blessings, right? Please, refuge tree, all the beings in refuge tree, shower me with blessings and all of us with blessings. The Nirmanakai, this is, this is, boy, there's a lot to this. This could be definitely three classes or four classes on this, but just for a few more minutes. The Nirmanakaya Buddha, this is the three Buddha body field, which isn't taught very often. So now you, you experience, you consider, this is a Nirmanakaya Buddha field actually appearing to all sentient beings. The Saha, the, the, the great, um, complete, uh, joyous universe is arranged as a pile of 100 million offerings. So you thought you were doing 37 points. That 37, in fact, is an infinite offering. Right. 100 million means beyond even the possibility of, of visualizing. This is beautified. So what it's also saying in the, in the perspective of, of Mahamudra and Zogchen is the universe is already a hundred million offerings. So this is, this is the other aspect of this, is can you, through this model offering, understand that the universe is unobstructed and is completely full of all the enlightened attributes already? That's what, actually what this means. It's not empty. The universe isn't empty. From the perspective of a Buddha, it's full of Buddha activity except that the five poisons, or the six poisons, get in the way from being able to see it as an activity of Buddha nature. This Nirmanakaya Buddha field, this universe, is beautified with an array of individual qualities. These are Buddha qualities. Please accept this offering to the three jewels, Nirmanakaya assembly. So that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be actually, as a Nirmanakaya Buddha, you sitting here, offering this up and imagining that the universe right now as it is, is an infinite, a hundred million uh, offerings of, 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 of Buddha qualities, of, of pure qualities. And then, uh, and, the, and the beings in the, in the tree are the Nirmanakaya, the actual uh, representations. Uh, for instance, you may, like this, is considered Nirmanakaya. This is an expression of Buddha nature, so it's sitting right here on the table. So one way to do this would be to visualize a uh, um, hundred million bells and dorjes, agantas and, and, and vajras, spread throughout the universe, uh, landing in everybody's laps. And everybody being able to hold, on the outer level, the bell and dorje, which of course on the inner level is, is, is wisdom and compassion, or compassion and wisdom. The unmixed five lights of wisdom, these are the, these are the five uh, Buddha wisdoms, are piled up in the mandala of one's own awareness. It's worth saying it's already piled up, it's already present in one's awareness. Right now, those five lights is actually what you're seeing in your awareness, which is what the prayer flags are. So those prayer flags, those five colored lights, the prayer flags, it's already there. Everything you're seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, 
your entire mentality right now is the five lights. But just twisted so that you see it as other, other, other forms. That's called the Sambhogakaya mandala. So offer up, offer up one's own awareness as the five pure lights of primordial wisdom. With ornaments beautifying the kayas, beautifying the, the Buddha bodies and Buddha fields. So when you look at the tankas and you see all the ornaments on the various Buddha figures, these are the ornaments um, that are the display of the five Buddha wisdom mind. They just manifest. So for instance, imagine that, that you're, in the, you're in the presence of a, let's say you're in the presence of a, of a Buddha. Hmm? And you were sitting there and you're in the presence of a Buddha, and all of a sudden, out of space, this would appear, a golden radiance of a dorje. That, that's what they're referring to, just filled with, with the objects of, of the ornamentation of purity. These, these things actually happen, and you'll experience these things too. You may not be able to put your hand on it and place it here, but, but it will appear. So all these things, all these ornaments of, of Buddha nature actually appear in the mind once one is accessing the Sambhogakaya realm. They appear. So these mandalas appear. They will appear to a being that's accessing Sambhogakaya. The pure realms, the Vajrasattva realm, the, uh, the Vajragini realm with Vajraginis, uh, they'll actually happen. Then we go to the Dharmakaya. Awareness and emptiness are arranged as heaps of samsara nirvana. That means that samsara is enlightenment, and nirvana is enlightenment without grasping. So we, 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 present, um, we present both samsara and nirvana, peacefulness and confusion, as none other than awareness and emptiness, as heaps of the mandala. This is the, this is the innermost level, without any grasping at all. And this forms the dharmakaya mandala, the expanse of non arising space. So we've got three offerings here. Outer, uh, not outer, but three Buddha body offerings of the mandala. Very profound. This reminds, these lines remind us that we're not just offering some rice and some jewels and so on. We're actually offering the qualities of three Buddha bodies to the three Buddha bodies. We already have it and we're going to find it. So to read this line fully, awareness and emptiness are arranged as heaps of samsara nirvana without grasping in the dharmakaya mandala, the expanse of non-arising space ornamented with uncontrived primordial wisdom free from the extremes of biding or cessation. Please accept this offering to the three jewel uh, dharmakaya assembly. That is a profound, glorious Dzogchen uh, pith instruction of how to remain in the natural state and offer that which can't be offered. <laughs> that which can be offered but has nobody offering. Primordially, primordially free. It's ornamented and it's uncontrived. It's none other than primordial awareness uh, uh, free from either abiding in something or cessation of something, in mind, in the nature of mind, not ordinary mind, mind. And then the line, it says, I make an offering with the trio of outer, inner, and secret offerings. 
and the offering of suchness to the assembly of gurus in whom the three kayas, three Buddha bodies, are totally perfect. Please accept the offering of my body, wealth, and the whole universe, and grant me the unsurpassed supreme city, the unsurpassed complete Buddhahood. So that's fine for this morning. And this evening, I will then, there's a handout. You have this. You can read it. Um, I'm sure you can. I've put in the handout. If you turn to, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sheet that says, um, it's the second page. Yangza Mandala Offering Instructions and Commentary for practice cards. I've actually, I've actually put these together so you can actually have a practice card. If you take a pair of scissors and you cut it out, you can have that in front of you so that when you practice the seven-point model offering, you can actually read the liturgy for each of the outer, the inner, the secret, and the thusness level of, uh, of the model offering from the Zhuangzab commentaries. It's not in here. It's in, you, have to, you have to dig into the commentary how it's practiced. So the first one where it says the Yangzad Mandala Offering Instructions and Commentary for Practice Cards, that first part gives you a feeling of the outer, but at a very, very high level. When you're, doing the, when you're practicing the Mandala Offering, you're imagining 1,000 such world systems, each with a supreme mountain, and so on, and so on, and so on. And taking each one of these pure lands, a single unit, take a thousand such units together to constitute what is known as a middle size trichilocosm, which is like a universe, a triple, triple universe. I'm going to have to explain all this. And on and on and on. This is the, this is the mind of Parochna Buddha, uh, a body of a Buddha of huge dimensions with world systems contained within it. This is the field of activity of a single supreme emanation. So only one emanation of a Buddha field has all these universes of pure lands operating. I'll let you read through that and see if you can, as we say these days, get your head around it. Fantastic. The, the scope of this is, is, is beyond, um, well, beyond the conceptual mind. I'll leave that this morning uh, for you. I'm going to leave uh, seven copies. I'll make some more. How many do we have here? How many people have this this diagram? Maybe not. Yes? Good. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. We're almost halfway there. So you can, you can take them as you Whoever runs up here first. Just leave, leave one copy out here, okay, for everybody to look at. And whoever gets here first, I want to see everybody run. Okay, that's just, that's really a very fast introduction to it and I'll give you a feel for it. But it's very important that if you're going to practice Mandal offering, you really have a, an understanding of what it's about. Otherwise, you're going to be doing a, a very big ritual and maybe not accumulating much merit and maybe not accumulating much insight. But you've done a lot. And maybe, maybe sore muscles. It's possible.
Just you wait. Was that how, Henry Higgins? Is that right? That? Just you wait. How does the song go? Henry, Henry Higgins, just you wait. Just you wait. Henry Higgins, just you wait. So just wait until you start a three-month retreat of mandala offering. It's absolutely like entering into an amazing journey. It really is. It's an amazing journey in retreat. It's an amazing journey. Truly something. Every time I've done it, I just go, oh, it's extraordinary. Dedication prayers. Dorji Chang, Tilopa Naropa, Marpa Milarepa, Dharma Lord Gampopa, Pagmodrupa, Lord Yurgumpa. Please bestow on us the most auspicious blessings of all the Gagi Lamas. By this virtue may I achieve the all-knowing state. By defeating all enemies' confusion, may all who travel on the waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death cross the ocean of samsara. Bojita, the excellent and precious mind, where is born, may it arise. Where is born, may it not decline, but ever increase higher and higher. I pray that Lama may have good health. I pray that Lama have long life. I pray that your Dharma activities spread far and wide. I pray they may not be separated from you. As Manjusri the warrior realized the ultimate state, as did Samantabhadra, I will follow their path and fully dedicate all the merit for all sentient beings. By the blessings of Buddha, we attain the three kayas. By the blessing of the truth of the unchanging Dharma such, by the blessing of the indivisible Sangha order, may the merit I share bear fruits. By the virtues collected in the three times among the self and all beings of samsara nirvana, and by the innate root of virtue, may I and all sentient beings quickly attain unsurpassed, perfect, complete, and precious enlightenment. May the teaching of the great Drikumpa Ratnashri, who is omniscient, lower the Dharma, master of interdependence, can continue and increase through study, practice, contemplation, and meditation until the end of samsara. Sarmangalam, Sarmangalam, Sarmangalam.